Turn with me, please, in the scriptures to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 4. What does it say? I sought the Lord. Then what happened? He heard me. Then what happened? He delivered me from a lot of my fears. Huh? Huh? If he delivered you from all your fears, what would that mean? How many would you have left? Good friend of mine, when we were in Bible school, very studious, and uh, he kept looking in the scripture, and this word all kept appearing, you know, all that call on him, and all this, and all that, and boy, he did an intense etymological study. I mean, he took it apart. He went into the Hebrew, and the Chaldean, and the Greek, and the Latin, and the Aramaic. He studied its history and its roots. I mean, extensive study. And he told us, he said his conclusion was what this word, A-L-L, in the English, he said what it really means is all. (laughs) What does all mean? It means everything included, nothing excluded. A-L-L means all. all. And if he delivered you from A-L-L of your fears, you wouldn't have even a little bitty fear left. You wouldn't have one remnant of fear, one vestige of dread remaining. You would be completely fear free. You would have zero fear. Say it out loud. I called to the Lord. He heard me. He hears me. And delivers me. From all my fears. Oh. That is happening. In these days. Here in this meeting. Go with me to Proverbs. The 29th chapter. Proverbs 29, I want us to talk about a particular fear, a specific source of fear tonight, and we're going to do it a little bit different way than the previous nights, but I believe this is how we're led. But it is what Proverbs 29 and 25 describes, the fear of man, the fear of man. What does the fear of man do? It brings a snare. And when you're doing it, you're not putting your trust in the Lord. But, he said, whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So when you're fearing man, it's ensnaring you and you're not putting your trust in the Lord. You're more concerned about a man And what they think or what they might say or do or not say or not do, then you are what the Lord knows and sees and can do. It is a big, big problem. And people may like to think, well, you know, I'm I'm above all that. I've developed beyond that. Oh, man, you just see it everywhere you turn. People are making decisions. They are doing things. Not because the Lord directed them to do it, but because of the fear of man. 
They're not doing things because of the fear of man. And when you let a fear lead you, you're going to wind up in a bad place. To be spirit-led is far different than being fear-led. Do you believe it, saints? Let me read this to you from some other translations. The New Living Version says, Fearing people is what? A dangerous trap. But to trust the Lord means safety. Today's English Version says, It's dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. (laughs) It's dangerous to be concerned. Why? Because if you get too focused on what you think, and so much of it, people don't even know what the people think. They're just concerned about what they think they might think, or what somebody else thinks they think. And that kind of ambiguity, that kind of fear, just opens the door wide open for the devil to come in and whisper all kinds of accusations to all parties involved. And they're looking at each other. And of course all of them's got a funny look on their face. Because they're thinking this goofy stuff. And the devil says. You see that look right there? I told you. They don't like you. They said this about you. And they said that about them. And they said that. It's true. And you're looking at it. Boy they sure look like it's true. Whoa. What if I do that? And as sure as the Lord tells you to do something. Do you know what's going to happen next? The enemy is going to come and tell you. If you do that. It's going to ruin your life. If you do that, man, I mean your wife and your dog's going to leave. I mean, if you do that, you're going to lose every dime. If you do that, uh, everybody will cross you off their list if you obey God. And if you're more concerned about the fear of man than you are what the Lord knows and thinks, you'll make the wrong decision. You will go the wrong way, and it'll lead you to destruction. Go with me, if you would, to... uh, The New Testament, Galatians 2, let's see an example of this. Galatians 2 and verse uh, 11, again this is the Amplified. Galatians 2, 11 and the Amplified. Paul says, when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I protested and opposed him to his face. For he was blamable and stood condemned. Boy, that took a lot of boldness, didn't it? You've got to remember, in these days, Paul wasn't as well known as Peter. And for him to say this took some courage. Verse 12, for up to the time that certain persons came from James, he, Peter, ate his meals with the Gentile converts. When the men from Jerusalem arrived, he withdrew and held himself aloof from the Gentiles He changed what he was doing. He changed who he was doing it with. And why did he? Why? He separated from a group of people and from fellowship. Why? For fear of those of the circumcision party. Now who is this? This is Holy Ghost filled Peter. Who preached on the day of Pentecost. Right? Thousands got saved. It's probably the best known, best loved individual in the church at this time. A leader. And yet, he was influenced by this and made a decision out of fear. You know, 
we don't know when we make, especially ministers and pastors and leaders, if we make a decision based on fear, we have no idea of the ripple effect. And I'm sure Peter was not thinking that his doing this is going to seem to confirm the unscriptural anti-grace doctrine of the circumcision party. And that's why the Holy Ghost moved so strong in Paul that he knew he had to say something. And he did it publicly. But he didn't talk behind Peter's back. He did it in his face. Right? Which is the honorable way to do it. Do you believe this, saints? But I'm bringing this up to say, don't think you are immune. I don't care who you are, who I am, how far we've come. People like to say, well, I don't care what people think about me. Most of the time, that's just not true. They like to say it. They like to think so. But it depends on who it is and what they think and what the circumstances are. And the truth is, you do care. What people think, and especially what certain people think. But you know who you ought to care the most about? What they think? Your master. The head of the church. And what he knows should carry more weight with you than what anybody else, including the people you love and respect the most down here. It ought to carry more weight with you than anything they might say or do or think. You believe it, saints? I felt like after talking with Phyllis last night that she had some things on her heart along this line. And I've asked her to speak to you for a few minutes about it. Is that okay? Would you receive her, Phyllis? Would you come? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Outside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, this is the person in my life right here. Glory to God, she has been and is the most amazing helper in the ministry. And, um, you know, the things that we've done and the steps of faith that we've taken and didn't see how we could do it or or how it could ever work out, she has uh, held my arms. Hallelujah. And held them up and believed with us every step. Go ahead, Phil, and and share what uh, the Lord put on your heart. Well, last night, actually... While he was teaching, some things came up in my heart, and I'll just say this in line of that. Um, You know, God said, do everything decently and in order. And Keith and I have worked together a long time, and a lot of times the Lord has given me a lot of things. And uh, I never have felt the need to just make a scene about it or have to run up and... And take the microphone away and say, God gave me this. I have to do it right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a God way to do things and there's a decent way to do things. And when I told him about it last night, he said, yeah, I want you to do that. You know, and and I believe when you do things the way that God deals with you about doing them, there may be times that you may go home and you may think, I had this. Well, there's been a lot of times that I've gone home and thought, you know, well, I had this. But you know what? Then later on you realize you're going to come in contact maybe with the person that you need to tell that to, the very person you need to tell that to. And you thought it was for everybody, but maybe three weeks later it's for the very person that you need to tell it to. But you got it in a service six months ago. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So uh, don't be so maybe antsy or, you know, because the devil likes to get us in trouble. That's his favorite thing, to get us in trouble. So, but anyway, back to my subject. Uh, Last night I was sitting there and I got this. Some of it I'm going to read because it was verbatim to what the Lord told me. And so I want to make sure I get it the way that he told me. He said this to me, these words. And you know how when the Lord tells you something, he... He just tells you, but you see the whole thing. It's like he told you something that could last a whole hour and a half, you know, in a sentence. And this was the words, seek God, not people. But I got the whole scenario, so I'm going to try and explain it to you. In Acts 4.21, you know, Peter was there and the Sanhedrin were there and everything, and, and they were threatening him and everything. But then verse 23, put that up if you would. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. On their release, they went back. They'd been threatened. Things had been happening. They'd been attacked. But on their release, they went back to their own people. And this is one of the things that the Lord dealt with me about. Why do so many people, when things go bad for them, they run away from the people that loves them and try to find something new. They run away from their safety and try to find something that's better. That's not what Peter did. When he was threatened and things were bad and things bad happened to him, he didn't say, oh my God, I'm getting hurt. I'm in the wrong place. This is not right. This is not God. And let's go find something better. He turned around and he went back to his own people. So what Brother Hagin used to tell us, and I'm telling you, I had this whole thing while he's preaching over there. This whole scenario was happening to me. Brother Hagin, when we were in his meetings all the time, we would pray in the mornings. And we would always pray this. And this is all going on in my heart and mind while I'm sitting there. Brother Hagin would always say, Isn't it a wonderful thing? Now put up the King James, because he always said this. When you get in trouble, that you can always go back to your own company and they'll hook their faith with your faith and believe with you. And I like my company, he'd say. I like who my company is because they'll believe with me. They know how to pray. They know how to hook with me. They know how to believe God and they know how to get in faith. Why would you look for somebody else that don't know how to believe God? And that's what he would say. And so that's all going on in my heart and mind while this is going on. And I'm thinking that's what's happening to so many people today. They're being attacked by the devil. There are things that are going on in their life. And instead of running back to their own company, they're running away from their own company and running out to other places and searching and seeking other things than people that care about them and love them and believe in them. That was one of the things he shared with me about it. But this verse came with it. And you all know it. I'll just quote it to you. Don't be deceived or misled. Evil companions, communions, associations, corrupt, depraved, good manners, and moral character. So he said that to me. And I thought, well, what do you mean by that, Lord? What do you mean by if we don't go back to our own company and we start going to other people? 
Well, then I'm seeing this scenario in my mind. It causes you to do things that you wouldn't do normally. It causes you to basically go a different direction than you would if you'd stayed with your company. It causes you to get on a different path. What people do is they go to these other people and begin to seek what they're saying about it because this isn't right anymore. I've had troubles. I've had tests. I've had trials. So instead of going back to their own company and getting with God and praying... This was the other thing that came up in my heart. Brother Hagin said, when that kind of thing would happen, I'd get with my company and we would pray. He said, you know the trouble with people today? They don't know how to pray. He said, they go to God for five minutes. He said, and then they get up and they try to find it another way because they don't want to pray. He said, when I first started praying, he said, I'd pray an hour in the Holy Ghost. And he said, the devil would tell me, Look at what a mess you did. That You didn't achieve anything. You didn't accomplish anything. He said, so you know what I did? I got back down on my knees and I prayed another hour. I said, now devil, if you tell me that when I pray this hour, what I'm going to do is I'm going to double up again and I'm going to pray another hour or another two hours. So what happens is people, instead of trying to go to God for their answers... They're seeking other doctrines. They're seeking other things because they don't want to spend the time with God to find out the answers. They want to find a quick fix for the answers. They want to find another way to do it. But the only way to do it is to seek God and not people. Brother Hagin said he used to have to get on his knees. And anybody, how many of you ever heard him tell these things? That he spent an hour in prayer and the devil laughed at him and made fun of him and said, aren't you a pretty sight? You wasted this time. You should have been in the church taking care of this and taking care of this and taking care of this. You should have been visiting these people and taking care of this and taking care of this. And here you are. You wasted that whole hour. He said, well, Mr. Devil, just for that, I'm going to pray another hour. And if you say it again, I'm going to double it up then. He said, but by the time he got to, what was it, the third hour? He hit a gusher (laughs) and got his answer. Now, he didn't go seek this person's opinion and this person's opinion and this person's opinion and a new doctrine and a new place and change everything he was doing. He went to God and found out the answer. But with our busy lives today, nobody wants to take one hour, much less three hours, to spend with God and find out the answer for themselves. They want to find it out from somebody else. So this is what the Lord told me last night. You know, Keith's been teaching us from the word that there's no fear in love and that we're not to yield to fear but to faith. And he even said this statement. He said, there is a truth for every terror. You remember that? Well, Keith is a visionary, and I'm a doer. So when I hear him teaching on something, I'm constantly thinking, okay, so how do we do that? I do. That's what I do. How do we apply that? What do we do? Where's the practical side of that? What do we do to apply that? Because when he says something, uh, we are the doers. I do it, then I make Dave do it, then I make Rob do it, then I make Dan do it. We do it. Okay? That's what we do. 
So last night when he was teaching, this is what came up in my heart. I'm thinking about how do we practically apply this word that he's saying. Okay? There is a truth for every terror, and there's no fear in love. And you don't yield to fear, but you yield to faith. And this came up very, very strong in my heart. That so many ministers are getting in fear about losing people. About losing people that if they'd hold to the truth instead of the terror, that there's no fear in love and they would think totally different, their results would be totally different. Let me explain. Okay, if you saw a person or a family leave your church and go to another church, or you're a minister and you saw, uh, you're a traveling minister and you saw a partner go to another ministry and hook with them or give to them or something, and you immediately thought, well, maybe that's better for them. And I know there'll be a blessing to that church. And you think in love instead of in terror that you're losing somebody. Or in terror that you're being selfish. That you're going to lose their money and you're not going to have enough to do what you need to do. But you think in love it could be better for them. It's definitely going to bless another pastor. Then God can in turn bless you. Because that's what love does. And let me explain to you what he was telling me. What people are doing is they are trying to chase people. They're trying to chase what's going on in society. Maybe all the programs this church is doing. This church has this group, and this church has this group, and this church has this program, and this church has this program, and we don't have all that, so we don't have all these people. Or this church has this music thing, or this church has this music thing, or this church is doing their music this way, or this church is dressing this way, or this church is doing this, or this church is doing that. And maybe if we would do that, we'd have more people. Well, you want to know the big problem with that? Did God tell you to do it that way? Because if God did not tell you to do it that way, you could be getting the wrong people in your church. And the wrong people in your church could just be a problem for you and a drain on you and not a blessing to you. They could eat your counseling time. They could cause you to be at the hospital for visitations 24-7. You want the people in your church or in your ministry hooked with you that God wants hooked with you, not people that are not supposed to be hooked with you. When we pray for these meetings, we don't just pray, God, send us everybody. Everybody come. Everybody come. Fill every seat, God. Everybody come. No, we pray, God, everybody that is supposed to be here, send them. And God, everybody that's not supposed to be here, keep them away. Because who wants to deal with any pastors ever dealt with any trouble people? Are they a blessing to you? They're not a blessing. 
and they will occupy your time and they'll be a problem for you and they're not a blessing to you. So why are you trying to do the things that the devil wants you to do that encourage those people to come to you? Because that's the only people come when you follow the devil's path. Mm, that's right. Right people come when you follow God's way. Wrong people come when you follow the devil's way. Because everybody has a person that they're supposed to go to. They have people that they're supposed to hook with. Everybody don't like Keith and I. Do you know that? And everybody's not supposed to be in these seats. Do you understand that? And everybody's not supposed to be in your church. Let me give you an example. I had the privilege, and it was one of the greatest joys of my life, and I hope I get to do it again with this church some, but to be over our youth group in Branson. And we didn't have a youth group to start with. We just had nobody doing our youth because everybody that we knew told us To have a youth group, you have to get some young rock and roll kid to do your youth group that will attract all the youth. That's what everybody told us. But I would pray, and I would pray, and I would pray. And I'd say, God, what do you say about the youth? And this kept coming to my mind every time I would think about the youth. Every time the youth would cross my mind, this would come to my mind. Brother Hagen would say, you know what? We took a poll on our radio broadcast, and they told us that more youth listened to us than any other minister, even the youth ministers on the radio, because they wanted to hear the truth of the Word for themselves. And so that's the way I pray. Lord, show us how to do it. So when we started our youth group, I just didn't do anything, not because I was trying to be rebellious or because I was trying to be different. I was trying to do it the way I felt like the Lord was dealing with us to do it. And you know what? I don't look like no punk rocker. I can't even sing. (laughs) So we started our youth group that night. And you know what we did? I said, y'all want music? Would y'all like to have some really good music in here? And of course they all yelled from the rafters, yes! I said, we can have the very best music. Are y'all game for it? They said, yes! I said, we can have drums and guitars and singers and everything. They said, yeah! And their faces lit up. And I said, great! Are y'all ready? And they said, yeah! They said, who are we going to get? I said, you're looking at them. You're looking at him. I said, who wants to play the piano? And one kid goes. I said, who wants to play the drums? Another kid goes. Who wants to play the bass? Another kid goes. Who wants to play the guitar? Another kid. Y'all ever played? (laughs) Those very kids today are playing in our church on the main platform. And every few years, we just laid our hands on them, we prayed over them, and we said, Lord, anoint them. They got to do this. We got to do this. You know the first song we played in youth? Mary had a little lamb. (laughs) And I remember one other time, we said, we played a Christmas song. What was it, Carrie? You remember that night in youth, we played, it was, um, 
little Christmas song they played with one finger somebody had taught them. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, that's the way we did our youth band. And they have done an extraordinary job. But now the reason that I'm telling you that is, and we didn't have the preaching, nobody stood up behind the pulpit, we made a circle, and the youth taught me. Because they like teaching. Teenagers like telling you everything. So I thought, tell me. (laughs) Tell me. But tell it to me from the Bible. You want to have sex? Prove it to me. You want to drink? Prove it to me from the Bible. You want to be rebellious to your mom and dad? Prove it to me. Let's tell me anything you want to tell me. Just tell me. And they'd do it. Week after week after week after week. And I loved it. But I didn't do it the way anybody else said do it. But now those very same youth are playing all these instruments and they're doing all this stuff. But the reason I'm telling you that is because these youth have a purpose now. Do you understand that? They have a reason to come to youth. Instead of just sit there and listen to somebody preach at them, they get that every day at school. They get that from their parents. They get that from their neighbors. And the reason I'm telling you this is because your church is an individual church. Your ministry is an individual ministry. Just like everybody's marriage is a totally different thing, everybody's church is supposed to be totally different. I just told Miss Gloria this yesterday in the car. I said, you know what? The most amazing thing to me about having two churches is it's like two kids. They are totally different. They come from the same parents, but they're totally different. And that's the way every church or every ministry is supposed to be. Not one of them is going to be the same. We all have the Holy Ghost living inside of us. And we should all seek God and say, God, what do I do? How do I do it? Tell me. What am I supposed to do? Do I have service on Sunday? Do I have it on Saturday? Do I have it on Monday? Do I have a service on Wednesday night or Thursday night? Do I have a serv- Do we have prayer? Do we have this? Do we have that? What do I do? Or do we just go down the road and say, okay, this is a church. We check off this box. Okay, we're doing this. Okay, we have marriage classes. Okay, do we do this? Do we do Because somebody else did it. The worst thing about that is, and this is one of the things that the Lord shared with me last night, and he asked me this question. If they're not following me, who are they following? And this is what he asked me. Ask them if any of them's ever had any trouble with their finances. He told me to ask you that. And I thought, why? He said, because... If you're doing programs and doing things that God did not tell you to do, you're spending money on things He didn't tell you to spend it on, and you ain't going to have it to spend it on things He does tell you to spend it on. It's like giving money to somebody that He didn't tell you to give it to, and then He tells you to give it to this person, and you don't have that money anymore because you gave it to this person. So you've been spending money on the young adults class. Did he tell you to have a young adults class? Did he tell you to have your youth go to a ski trip every fall? Just because everybody else does it, you're afraid you're going to lose them? You got to check in with him. And you got to find out what he's telling you to do. Seek God, not people. If you lose them, they weren't yours anyway. 
Amen. And guess what? They ate yours anyway to start with. That's right. They belong to God. And we're just the overseers to help lead them. And if they leave you, just give them a nice place to come back. Just love on them. Say, go. We love you. You want to come back? We're here. We're not going anywhere. We're still going to be here doing the same thing. Go out there. We're going to be here. We love you. Don't make it hard on them to come back. Make it easy on them to come back. Then there was one other thing that the Lord dealt with me to tell you. Too many people in church circles and ministry circles are recycling the same people instead of reaching out for the unsaved and new people. That's why they're so concerned if they lose one person. Reckon how many people there are in the world that are unsaved. And if we'll seek Him, He will show us how to get them. But the problem is, everybody is in fear about losing one going to another church and not spending time on their knees seeking Him. Do you have every person in your city saved? We don't. There's a whole world out there of people that we can get saved and lead to the Lord. We don't have to be concerned about losing one to this church or losing one to this church or or ten to this church. And the worst thing we should not do is do something just because somebody else is doing it because we're afraid we're going to lose somebody. It's total fear. Because everybody's doing their programs this way, we change everything in the church to make it look like every other church. And we have to seek God about it. Is He pleased with it? Is this what He wants us to do? Then, like what Keith was just saying, and I was thinking when he was saying it, we're not doing everything right. Don't I would never dare to say that we're doing everything right. We're doing our best to do what we know that the Lord's directing us to do. But I am thankful that when we hear from Him, we do our best to follow what He's saying. And the money has been coming in. And when He was saying that, I was thinking that. I don't want to set something up just because we haven't started youth here yet. We don't have Sunday school classes. We have, I bet you Dave could tell you every other week of somebody that says, do y'all have this? Do y'all have this? Do y'all do this? Have y'all got this? Do y'all have this program? Do y'all have this program? Do y'all have minister to this? Do y'all have this? Do y'all have that? But you know what? The Word sets you free. And everybody that's just looking for a little program that they can get involved with this and involved with this and involved with this, a lot of times it's just trying to avoid getting the Word. They want a social club and not the Word. So you have to be their leader, not their friend. And you have to say, you know what? We have church on Sunday morning and the Word goes forth and this is what you need and it'll change your life forever. 
And you won't need to break free from this. And you won't need to get set free from this. And you won't need a deliverance from this. Brother Hagin used to tell us about that all the time. He used to say, this month we had a get free meeting. Next month we had a set free meeting. And the next month we had a deliverance meeting. And the next month we had a, a no more bondage meeting. And the next month we had a... He said, because everybody was trying to do something every month to keep things going. And he said, none of it was any good. The only thing that's any good is what God tells you to do. And it's the Word that sets people free. It ain't programs. It ain't all the things that people try to get you to do. If you do everything that everybody wants you to do, you're going to be worn out from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed at night. And worse than that, you're going to be broke and you're going to be divorced. Because you can't do it. Because I tell you what, if Keith met with every woman that called and asked for him to meet with her, I'd slap them around every day. I'm telling you the truth. We had this one woman call one time. She said, I want to give you a million dollars, but I want you to meet me over here at this hotel. He says, huh? I don't think so. But it's a million dollars. I don't care if it's ten million dollars. He ain't going... They'd never met me had they robbed. She said, but you're not very excited about a million dollars. What's one million dollars in light of losing your ministry? You're losing the call on your life? And it's the same thing. I'm saying a million dollars, but what is one program... What did Moses do? Moses did one thing different than what God told him to do, and it cost him. One thing different than what God told him to do. We don't want to be that way. We want to do exactly the way God tells us to do it, and then God has a right to bless everything that we do. Everything that we say, everywhere that we go, And then he can just pour the blessings on, pour the blessings on. So the word for you is seek God, not people. Not people's approval and not just to get people in. Seek God and not people. Seek God and not people. And that's all I got. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was excellent. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thought that was the Lord. Do you? I believe that's the Lord. That's the Lord. I, I, I agree with what Brother Kenneth says. I'm glad God didn't give me no chicken woman. <laughs> She's a real deal. Got some Tabasco there. Cajun, you know. Uh, Romans 12 And verse 2, Romans 12 and 2, says what? Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what? What is, not what's politically correct or popular, what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? There is this pressure brought to bear. 
throughout the earth, all the world system, and it's way too much in the church to press toward conformity. Be like us. Do it like us. No, you can't do that. Nobody's ever done it that way. We don't do it that way. No, you can't do that. And the Spirit of God specifically told us, commanded us, do not be conformed. Don't allow yourself to be molded and shaped and cookie cutter like everybody else. You be transformed by the renewing of your mind and prove what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have in our midst a couple of people that I believe are some of the best examples of nonconformists <laughs> in our generation. Brother Kenneth and Miss Gloria Copeland have preached what the Lord said when nobody liked it. Do you believe it? And have stood up and been a witness and believed for things that other folks mocked and fought against. I mean, whole groups of folks joined together against them. And aren't we glad that they did not buckle, they did not conform. We are different people because of it. And I asked Brother Kenneth if he had a few words to say about this. And he said, yes. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. In um, Oklahoma City, 1967, I was Brother Robert's driver. That afternoon, we were headed toward the uh, convention center where he was preaching that that day. And uh, very quiet in the car. The presence of the Lord was just heavy in the car. And suddenly, he was reading, and suddenly he said, Kenneth! I jumped about that high. I felt like I like jumped out of the car. It, it startled me. So I said, yes, sir. He said, people will always tell you you can't do it. But if you will do these three things, you will always succeed. I've learned over the last... 46 years since that day that he was exactly right. And we still, Gloria and I still practice this today. If you will do these things, you won't have any fear of people or what they tell you. It will eliminate the situation that creates fear of what other people think or what they might say. And like Keith said, I mean, you know, we've had a lot of people made a life's work out of writing ugly books about us, you know. He said, number one, find out 
the will of God. And you don't need to be out talking to somebody else trying to find that out. This is what Phyllis was referring to when she says, spend time with God. Because it's His plan, His purpose, and His pursuits. Now, Brother Robert said, find out the will of God. Number two, confer no longer with flesh and blood. Don't ask them whether you can or whether you can't. Once you know the will of God, confer no longer with flesh and blood. Number three, get your job done at all costs. When you know what God has planned, then you seek Him for the carrying out of the plan. This takes away all fear of what somebody else might think or what somebody else might do. Now, here's I've been corrected of this myself, particularly back in the earlier years of this ministry. Seek the Lord and you find out that He wants you to build a church building on that corner and then you jump and run, go to the bank, try to get the money. Instead of staying there, after you found out that you're supposed to build the building and you're supposed to build it on that corner, don't jump and run. Find out what you're supposed to do next. He has a plan. And he thinks a whole lot more of you than the bank does. Amen. Oh, yeah, he'll give you more than you're worth. <laughs> Amen. Now, when you know the will of God and you lock in with him, there's no use in you going into action until you know the plan. Don't get disturbed thinking, well, I got to do something. No, you don't. I found out that I didn't have to do much. Most of the stuff I came up with got in the way. <laughs> Glory to God. I could just relax and rest in Him, and He'd tell me what to do. Go do it. Amen. Now, inside that, don't ever read anything about yourself in print. Good or bad. You let your staff know, don't ever bring me a newspaper article that has my name in it. I will not read it, and you're going to be in trouble the minute you bring it in there on my desk. I'm not interested in what they think about me. Did you ever notice when somebody says something or writes something ugly 
about you? Did you ever notice how that nags at you and hangs around and you're out there being nice and smiley at the front door and somebody comes up and just sasses you real bad and just tell you what a real jerk you really are and how you raped the Scripture this morning. Don't hear it in the first place and you won't have to put up with that. Some of you stand out there in front of the church just because other pastors do it. That's where they brag on you. And that's the stuff you won't try to get rid of when they're talking nice about you. And that's what you really need to get rid of when they're bragging on you. Amen. So you'd just be a whole lot better off if you didn't hear either one of them. Yeah, but Brother Copeland, now see, you're going to give me an excuse why you have to stand out there and listen to all that. Shake everybody's hand as they go out the front door and, and listen to all that. Would you show me that in the Scripture where it said, Thou shalt stand in the front of the church and shake everybody's hand. Now, if the Lord told you to be out there, you better get your pretty self out there every time. If He didn't, you need to take a look at it and find out why you're there. Amen. There's just a whole lot of stuff like that that has nothing to do with the, the spiritual health and climate of a strong church or a strong ministry. Amen. You know the plan. You know what God has in it. What he has told you to do, then get your job done at any cost. Go get it done. Amen. The Lord would tell Brother Roberts to build a building. He said, Man, go dig a hole. They may not have money enough to do nothing to dig a hole. Go dig it. Start. He says, Go, you go. Stop, you stop. We were about, well, we had um, the walls up and about, oh, I guess probably two-thirds of the way through with our headquarters building there in, in Fort Worth, building it debt-free, and uh, <laughs> ran out of money. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, just roll the care of it over on me, sweep it out, and go home. So that's what we did. I didn't go back out there for eight months. What am I going to go out there for and mope around that half-finished building? I could care less. Wasn't my care. I'm not the one that was told to build it. I didn't tell me to do it. The Lord told me to do it. Amen. I'm not a money raiser. I preach the Word. I didn't go back out there. I actually rolled the care of it over on him and turned around and looked at the thing, walked off and didn't go back for eight months. Somebody said, oh, Brother Copeland, it must have been heavy on it. I forgot about it. <laughs> like the cowboy said, you have no idea how much I don't care. <laughs> Amen. And... 
One morning, I got a phone call. And they said, uh, there's a guy out here is wanting to know what, what to do with a load or something he's got out there in front of the building. I said, what is it? They said, it's a truckload of sheetrock. So <laughs> I said, well, what did he tell you? They said, well, he said, hurry up and let's unload this. I've got another truck of the same size I'm supposed to bring. We didn't order any sheetrock. But it came. The Lord said, it's time to go back to work and don't stop this time. Amen. We finished the bill. Now, if I'd have sat around and worried all over that and toiled over that, got under pressure, gone down to bank, violate what God told me to do in the first place, stay out of debt, out of fear of people laughing at me because I couldn't finish the building. I don't care. Now, I can say I don't care, but I'm not telling you the truth unless I have cast that care according to the Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. He will exalt you, strengthen you, establish you if you won't carry the care. That's when you get in trouble with people. That's what creates the fear of people if you're carrying the care of what they think or say. But if you'll roll all the care over on the Lord, and actually practice it. It tries to come across your mind, and you just stop and say out loud, that's not my thought. I'll not touch it. I don't have that care. I don't have to finish that building. I don't care if it ever gets finished. If the Lord doesn't do it, whoever does it, does it in vain. So what I care? Well, what, all, I'm, all I do is preach the Word. That's my job. In season, out of season, that's what I do. Amen. Now, if I, if I decide I'm supposed to do a bunch of other stuff, that's when I get in trouble. My job is to preach the Word. It's His job to build a church. It's His job to build a ministry. It's His job to handle the finances. It's His job to do all that. I just preach the Word. Amen. And they really haven't done anything different for for 46 years. So why change now? (laughs) He scattered it all over the whole earth. I couldn't get it out of Tarrant County. But when you are focusing on what he's called you to do, preach the word. Stay focused on Step one, step two, and step three. You have no fear of anybody else. No fear. None. Don't read the ugly stuff they say about you. Don't pay any attention to it. Don't even listen to it. And whatever you do, don't believe it when they brag on you. Don't be reading that either. Amen.
just bypass all that and give yourself a faith break over a period of time. Fear of people gets swallowed up in the love of people. The love of God. Perfected love. Developing, growing love. Casts out fear. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. Thank you, Brother Keith. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Brother Kenneth. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. How many treasure those words? Those are words to live by from proven, demonstrated ministry. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Thank you, Lord. Uh, Singers and band, would y'all come up? Everybody stand up. Go ahead and thank the Lord for what you've received tonight. You believe you got something good tonight? makes a difference. Hallelujah. Let's lift up our hands and say thank you, Lord. Lord, we're so thankful how you orchestrate uh, our days and our nights and our, oh, Lord, your words. We treasure your words. They're more to be desired than gold and, and nothing compares to the treasure of your light and your life, your goodness Oh, how we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, great Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I believe we should say, be it unto me. According to your words, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.